Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. The NFL Combine is underway this weekend, so plenty to get you caught up on on this week's show. We'll start things off with the latest episode of Veach Season, just discussing the latest news around cornerback Legereus Sneed and Chris Jones as the Chiefs try to figure out a way to move forward with both or one of their star players. After that, it's the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, just discussing the Chiefs' cap space and catching up on the latest news around the Kansas City Chiefs. After that, we'll take a quick timeout. When we get back, we'll catch up with the AP Draft Room, just discussing their favorite sleeper wide receivers and defensive tackles in the upcoming draft class. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. So before we get started, though, I do want to talk a little bit. We, we talked last week about um, Legereus Sneed and Chris Jones' contracts, and I... I put something out on Twitter this week, and the moment I put it on on Twitter, I knew I was going to catch some smoke, you know, from Cheese Kingdom about it. And I simply said, given Legereus Need's age and his draft position, and given his history of knee injuries, I hope for his sake that he doesn't get franchise tagged. And if the Chiefs aren't going to offer, the Chiefs are not going to offer him at least four years, 80 million with like 50, 60 guaranteed. I hope they don't franchise tag him. He's allowed to go get that somewhere else. And let me tell you, that was offensive to a lot of people in Chiefs Kingdom. And I get it. Like we like we cheer for the we cheer for the logo on the side of the helmet and the name on the front, not the name on the back. When a t- when a player leaves this team, we're Chiefs fans. That's who we side with. That's where our loyalty sides. It's not with the player. And I'm the same way. Um, but that being said. On a personal level, there's nobody in the world who has been through more in their life, who's overcame more in their life. And and for him to have an opportunity to get generational, life-changing money. Yeah, okay, the, the salary tag is one year, $19 million. That's that's generational. That is, I'm not stupid. That's more money than I'll ever see. Then hopefully, you, hopefully you guys see that money someday. I won't ever see it. Um. And that's life-changing money. But let's not pretend that that 19 million and 80 million are the same thing, right? And that they're not going to offer different opportunities for a family and somebody's life. Um, and the idea that I say that I hope he gets that doesn't mean that I think that Brett Veach should do that. Like, let's get that straight as well. This is all just my personal hopes for Legarius Need and his personal family. And there's a lot of people in the world who like to call themselves capitalists and they're all about capitalism and open and a free market. 
until you start talking about the players having to open in a free market to go out and try to get what they're worth and get what, and get as much money as possible. And suddenly they're like, they should be happy with $19 million. Like, how dare they want something more than $19 million? So oh, I, I don't make 19 million. Yeah. You don't make $19 million because you can't play press man coverage against Tyreek Hill and shut him down twice in a season. Like if you could do that, you would make $19 million, but you can't, you have, you don't have the skill set, right? Like I can't, go on the Eras tour and sing a 10 minute version of all too well pitch perfectly like Taylor Swift can, right? Like I can't sit there with those, with those beautiful eyes like Caleb James has on the AP draft show and just seduce half of America with, with my stunning good looks like Caleb James does. I don't have that gorgeous smile that Kramer Sansone has. Like I'm an ugly human being and I've come to grips with it. Um, no, but, you're not uh, Rocky. I, stop. <laughs> I just want Legarius Need to have be as successful as possible. Um, Caleb, what's your what's your take on the Legarius Need situation? No, nah, man, I, I like that you brought up like some of the stuff with his uh, backstory, some of that stuff. I, I wish the Chiefs would pay him, just because I think it sets a good example and it sets the tone for how things go in the organization in general. Like he came in. He hasn't said a word, you know, about any sort of contracts to the media. He's kept all that very low key, um, you know, and he was a guy they drafted in the fourth round. He wasn't like highly, you know, he wasn't highly touted out of Louisiana Tech by any stretch of the imagination. And through the work he did with Steve Spagnola and Dave Merritt and the entire coaching staff, you know, he turned himself into what should have been an all pro corner. You mentioned him locking up not just Tyreek, but he's locking up everyone, you know, any receiver that they've sent his way. And if you just think about like the message the Chiefs want to send, you know, I I get the feeling that sometimes they like put off the message like, oh, we're not paying anyone unless you're like Mahomes or Kelsey or if you're like the all world guy. But I do think at some point they do have to start bringing back some of their in-house options, right? They do have to start bringing some of these guys back to, like, let these guys know, you know, you will be rewarded eventually for doing the right thing. You know, the franchise tag is going to benefit the team more than anything. Um, it's not going to benefit Legereus Sneed, the individual, though. And he's still going to make a lot of money off of the tag, but it's not like you said that general – that general the generational wealth that he's going to be able to pass down to his family – and be able to set them up for the rest of their lives also. So, I mean, it's definitely a tough situation. I know we all want to see Snead back in the uniform, but I do agree with what you're saying, Rocky, that if they're not going to make a long-term commitment to him, you know, it's it's a dangerous sport. It's a violent sport. It could be, you know, one play, and then he may never be the same cat ever again after that. So, I mean, I'm all for it, man. I, I want to see all those guys get paid the best they can. I've been on the camp, though, with Legereus Sneed this entire time. Like, I want this guy to either get paid somewhere or get brought back to the Chiefs because this guy's done so much for this team. I mean, Caleb said he's locking down people. Granted, I know he's, his penalties were up, but were those guys scoring touchdowns still? No, no. They were, he was, that's why you have an, a, an awesome defense put around Legereus Sneed and they didn't even score points or it was a field goal. It's like, that's why this defense was so good. It started because of a guy like Legereus Sneed being a game record in the secondary. Well, yeah, and I mean, you talk about the penalties, but I think that Steve Spagnuolo, he said it multiple times, he's spot on. It's just the cost of doing business. When you're lining somebody up against their, they're following around number one wide receivers week after week after week, and you're playing press man coverage, it's, yeah, his timing is off sometimes, and he misses with the striker, his hands get a little high, 
or he gets a little grabby downfield. Uh, but those are all things that you live with and that you would rather have him do. Would you rather have him get a holding penalty or give up a 50 yard touchdown pass? Like that's like, like, yeah, you live with that. It's the cost of doing business. Uh, don't you think Caleb, like, like, are, like th- are the penalties a concern for you whatsoever when it comes to Snead? For me, not so much. There's never been a harder time in football to play defensive back than there is right now because the game's been changed from, you know, just a rule standpoint to want to benefit the offenses and the quarterbacks. These guys, I mean, they have, I mean, playing corner in the NFL is ridiculously hard. That's why, you know, you're going to see if he gets, you know, if he doesn't get tagged, you're going to see a giant number thrown out there. Like, you're going to get your, you'll take a 15 yard penalty to keep the six off the board or keep that explosive play off the board. Cause it is hard, man. 20 years ago, you know, those guys didn't have to deal with the kind of rules that these guys in the secondary do now. I mean, you can't even really, I mean, they can't even have people in the secondary who like lay fear into people. Like I would like to see like 20 years ago, Legereus need probably be a guy in the middle of the field. You don't want to cross on any given play, especially when he's in the slot there and you got some of those smaller guys coming through there. So like, man, y'all said it's the price of doing business, but, I mean, if you're not giving up the big play, if you're consistently frustrating the guy, because you got to remember also when those guys are sitting there and he's holding them, that's still frustrating to those guys because they want to be catching the ball. That's where they make their money at. You know, they're not getting paid to be, you know, you know, have Snead grab a hold of them and not get anything. And if the ref throws the flag, he throws the flag. That's a, that's a great point. Listen, those, those wide receivers, you want to get in their head – like holding penalties will still get in a wide receiver's head because a 10 yard penalty doesn't show up on their stat sheet. Like, like there, nobody has a bonus for, for accumulating 10 holding penalties and in a season, no, they get it for going over a thousand yards or X number of touchdowns. Right. And so, so wide receivers don't want you to hold them, you know? And so you're definitely getting in their head. That's a great, great point, Caleb. And, and you've talked brought up what we kind of talked about last week of why we thought that this Chiefs defense this past year was alleged was an all-time defense is because never before has it been harder to stop the passing game and to play defense in the NFL, especially at cornerback, where it's such a reactionary position. Everything you're doing is reactionary, right? Like you like like you have an idea what they're gonna do, but you don't really know until the play starts, you know. I mean, and and you're just reacting to it. Um so I mean, I'm I'm 100% with you. What do you think, Cream? Heck, I'm 100% with you too. I, I I love Snead, man. This guy has done so much for this Chiefs defense without him actually being. It's funny with him though because he's more of a talker on the field and outside. He's like he's just smooth, chill, cool as can be, and you wouldn't know he has that mentality until you see him out in the field. And I mean, he he brings it. He brings it. I, so whatever Snead's gonna get gets. Assuming he's going to get paid, I'm hoping he gets paid. He deserves it. Talking about him getting paid, like something that kind of ties into that a little bit, um, is the salary cap actually went up, you know, this past week. It's it's, it's more than we uh, anticipated that it would be. Um, it's up to 255.4 million, the highest it's ever been in the NFL, which actually is good for the Chiefs because they have an estimated 20, like a little bit over $28 million in salary cap. And so if you're looking to uh, re-sign a guy like Legereus Need or to sign Chris Jones, um, obviously you still think they may still convert some of Mahomes' money into a bonus and maybe extend him to kind of free up some cash. And there's a lot of things you can do to do that. But the 
the Chiefs' ability to re-sign these guys um, just got better with that number. I think I think if you're ever at one Arrowhead Drive, that's a number that you really like to see come out of the NFL um, this this past week. Wouldn't wouldn't you guys agree? Oh yeah. Yeah, and so oh, yeah. No, uh, there's no reason for like I mean everyone's going to agree with this because you actually had the, the capability if you wanted to sign Snead or to sign Jones, you have that capability right now. I mean, granted, you have to have restructure some things, but you you have you have more you have more wiggle room. That's what you need is wiggle room. Yeah, and with the cap going up like it is, I'm starting to wonder if we're starting to see some of the impact from like legalized sports wagering and all that stuff from DraftKings starting to kind of creep its way into like the actual forefront of like the teams and everything. Be nice if in Missouri you could do that. That might possibly help things out. But, you know, I know there's probably a lot of salty 49ers fans that made some dumb money line bets out there here a few weeks ago. And now the, uh, you know, they're starting to get some of that money back. Oh, 100 percent And uh I I'm I'm a fan of 49ers fans making stupid bets. 49ers fans, Raiders fans, let them all just make the stupidest bets on the face of the planet. Because I don't know if you if you guys heard this or not, Kramer. Kramer Sansone, our what's resident Raiders what's fan. Going, what's going oh, on? Oh, Antonio Pierce has Jordan rules for Mahomes that are suddenly gonna work because of one Christmas Day game that they won when the Chiefs played the worst possible game that they've they've ever ever played and the Chiefs team I, the I Chiefs think it's going to be completely different next year yeah okay go ahead I have your Jordan Chiefs, rules I think the Chiefs need to thank the Raiders for that the Chiefs need to thank the Raiders for their Jordan rules yeah explain I mean if you go back to Christmas Day I think the Chiefs need to thank them because that was their last loss of the entire year if it wasn't for that loss then the Chiefs probably presumably went win the Super Bowl there's no I other logic to think that way. I Can think we just get right one this, thank you? In this, no, you can't get a thank you. I think the Chiefs woke we let them up, use their practice over. facility too. I think that the Chiefs like like it was like a night after like being out too late on the town and drinking too much. The Chiefs woke up the next day and they were like, "What the f? Too was much eggnog like, on what? Christmas Eve? Yeah, what did I do last night? Like oh, I'm never doing that again." And then they decided to never do that again and win the Super Bowl. Caleb, should we be thanking the Raiders for? for us playing horribly on Christmas. I don't know if it was anything the Raiders did more. So it was what the chiefs didn't do. I I got, I was at the game on Christmas, you know, could have gone to the family function. No, blew that off, went to Arrowhead with the boys. And I don't know, man, that was just like, I'd never seen the chief's body language like it was that day. And they still had a chance to win late in the game. Like they tend to do with Mahomes. My big thing with the Raiders saying they've got the rules now for beating Mahomes, I'm like, well, that's kind of what has always happened when the Chiefs have struggled or lost games. Teams are going to get after him. They're going to lay a little extra contact on him at the end there. Um, the Ravens were doing that in the AFC title game. It just didn't work out so well, and they got flagged for it. If you're going to just go out and say, yeah, we're going to use this rules on Mahomes, you, I mean, I don't know if I would have done that if I were them because now – you know, Andy Reid's going to be coming up before the game they play next year. And he's going to be like, uh, you want to maybe watch these late flags. They might be trying to hit our guy. And it could possibly lead to more penalties for the Chiefs. But, I mean, if that's the Raiders' cost of doing business, we'll take that. 100%.
And we'll move on because as, as I've said before, this is not a Raiders podcast. We're not going to give the Raiders any more play, especially any positive play. And I'll be dead in the ground before this is a, a, a podcast where we start saying good things about the Raiders. So, Kramer, there you go. That was your little Raiders Appreciate nugget. It. Your little, you. Yeah, enough. Calm down over there. You know, you're getting a little too hot and bothered, you know, because we talked about the Raiders for 20 seconds. Uh, so the Chiefs did sign – a couple of guys um, this week. They signed uh, safety Tyree Gillespie and the uh, the punk god Matt Ariza. Um, obviously, he's kind of a polarizing figure a little bit. Um, had a legal situation that where it ended up being dismissed. Um, but streak speaking from a solely from a talent standpoint, the guy's got got some juice in his foot right like he's he's got a booming leg and with with tommy townsend being a free agent and and presumably looking for top of market money um basically this seems like they're bringing in another guy to to basically say tommy we don't we don't need to pay you top of market money we'll we'll go another direction um if we have to am am i off on that 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 kind of just that kind of seems like what this is I agree, man. And, uh, you know, uh, Tommy, his uh, representation is Drew Rosenhaus and those guys. I don't know if maybe the Chiefs kind of already know what they're getting into just from the Tyreek deal. But I just, in my head, to me, it, it's probably Veach was like, it's probably not worth our time to even get into negotiations with you. Like we have other things we have to get buttoned up and taken care of. And, you know, with the situation that Ariza was in, they're going to get him for probably a fairly cheap contract is probably his cheapest league minimum that he can get. And you talk about a guy with all the talent in the world, you know, and how big were the Chiefs' special teams this year? My only thing is I don't know if there's ever been any, like, records of him being a holder or anything. I'm kind of curious to see what they'll end up doing with that. You know, that's, like, the most minutia detail we could possibly come up with for this time of year. I don't know if they can get him with Dustin Colquitt this offseason, have him learn a thing or two maybe. But that will be, you know, probably something to monitor as we get into training camp. But dude's got a leg, man. I've uh, – I, I love – I love this guy. Like, the punt god, I, he's got a rocket strapped to his hip. If you thought that Tommy Townsend could boom it, he can too. And what I am concerned about too is what's going to happen on the extra points, uh, the field goal attempts, um, who's going to hold it and whatnot. Because as a special teamer, I know that's all psychological stuff. So I'm curious if Butker can get through with that. If Winchester does come back as the long snapper, he's still a free agent too. So I'm concerned about that part, but I love this dude. And I love pick up also giving another second chance. Like that's what the chiefs do. They give out second chances. He's going to run away with this one and he's going to be the punt God for the chiefs. Oh man. If he kicks an 80 yarder in the super bowl next year, like chiefs fans the one. Just, yeah. Chiefs fans just might, you know, build a statue outside the stadium based upon one punt in the super bowl. Let's be honest. I cannot wait to see him kick in Denver. This oh, year, oh. we could have some sort of record-breaking type deal going down there. Ninety-nine-yard punt in Denver. <laughs> okay. All right, right. <laughs> got to have some wind with that one, buddy. Generally speaking, here, you know, and and we will put up Jared's update, which he did a really nice job with. But generally speaking, here, 
when you consider Chris Jones and his situation, when we consider LeJarrius Sneed and his situation, and where the Chiefs' salary cap stands, wide net, what do you make of it? Well, there's a lot less money than we thought the Chiefs were going to have. Um, I mean, even with this big increase, which amounted to like $30 million in the salary cap compared to 2022, uh, excuse me, to 2023. I'm still mm-hmm. changing over from one year to the next year. I know. Me too. Um, February, but we're going to be March soon. Yeah. Thank God for the leap year because I'd like to figure this out by March. And yeah, the leap year buys me another day to figure that year's that's, thing out. That's right. right. Um, so, you know, they add $30 million and that sounds fantastic. But a couple, well, like less than a week later, mm. uh, we learned that, um, you know, four of the chiefs 2021 draft picks are suddenly earning more money than uh than they did before because of the proven performance escalators that are part of the uh the league's contract with the nflpa and that took in one fell swoop 11 million dollars uh away from the chiefs cap space and then today um you know we had these moves releasing Waldo Scantling and putting Sneed on the franchise tag a couple of days ago with the new uh, cap number, we had $28.3 million going to the chief's uh, salary cap. Now there's 9.5. You know, that's a pretty big, big difference in how much money's available. Of course, the chiefs will have more moves to make. Um, they always have the option of uh, freeing up some space from the homes contract, so on and so forth. But uh, it's what seemed like a lot of money doesn't seem like a whole lot of money right now. Yeah. And, and it's a shame because I think the other day when we first get the, the salary cap news from the NFL, it, it's like, well, maybe the door is open for them to mm-hmm. maintain both yeah. Jones and Snead, but, you know, you you factor in those escalators now, and it and it does does seem like they're still gonna need to make a choice. And I, I think what is interesting here is I, I think I coming into the off season, John, I I sort of assumed that they would have one or the other, but there's a third door here where they trade Sneed, get back draft capital, and then don't get Jones back. And it's like, what is this? What is this defense going to look like? Because if you end up trading Snead and you have that room, but you you know you do get the draft capital, you're still up against the 31 other teams that, and and some of them might have more more money because you know they don't have some of those escalators where they can kind of hand Chris Jones a, a blank check. So, what do you think? You know, as it stands here, and you know, as you look at this this salary cap situation from a bird's eye view, what do you think the chances are? of the chiefs not having either of these guys for the 2024 campaign. Well, I think it's a distinct possibility. I mean, this is exactly why uh, Steve Spagnuolo was brought to tears uh, Mm. on the field uh, after the Super Bowl when he said, you know, this defense is never going to look the same. I mean, the defense, a team, a unit on an NFL team never looks the same uh, the following season. But Spagnuolo was talking about something else that, you know, there are players here on this team that are significant to it, you know, on my unit that might not be back uh, for the following season. And it's not unreasonable to think that he was thinking about Jones and he was thinking about Snead and the possibility that either or both of them will not be back in 2024. Um, You know, that's distinctly possible. I've been beating this horse for a long time that ever since 
Mahomes signed his huge contract that the Chiefs are going to have to move more and more and more towards filling their needs through the draft. That, yeah. you know, we're going to have to get used to the idea that they can't spend big money on free agents, either by re signing their own free agents or getting them from other teams. So at some point, I do expect that we'll mostly be talking about bringing players in through the draft. And I think we have seen that yeah. in the last couple of seasons where general manager Brett Veach has made, uh, you know, some big moves in the draft and done very well with the picks that he's, that he's had. And um, that may be the direction that we're headed here. Um, but at the, on the other hand, I think the chiefs really do want to figure out a way to keep Snead, and they really do want to figure out a way to keep Jones. Whether they can is the question of the hour. Yeah, I, I, I think as this news coming is coming out about Snead, like it, it does always make you want to go back and maybe adjust your prediction because I, for a while, I've, I've kind of thought that the Chiefs wanted to keep Snead. You know, those are the things I, I've heard. But if you really look at the tangible examples of this recent Chiefs era, and it's limited because I mean, as great as it's been and as long as it's felt, it's still only five or six years here. But they. They let Charverius Ward walk, and mm -hmm. yeah, he was a pretty good player for them at the time. Uh, I'm not sure if their exact evaluation of the player he's become with San Francisco was maybe what they had at the time. I mean, that's something that we will never know maybe until this whole thing is, is all said and done. But at the same time, it, it's a pretty close, I think, comp for what Snead brings to the table, and there should be no lack of confidence in what they can do in drafting the defensive back position. They feel pretty good about their defensive backs coach and Dave Merritt and Dave Merritt. I mean, you know, we get him once in a while. I've talked about that in, on this podcast and he's, he's a brilliant coach. You can see why his mm -hmm. players would yeah. love him and they would play hard for him and what he's done as far as the development. I mean, I think when his personal life affords him the ability to, he's going to make a, a good defensive coordinator for somebody. Remember, Steve Spagnuolo kind of came from that like defensive backs track. I mean, that's that's what he really likes as a secondary. Anyway, long story short, I I just feel it's it's likely that Snead has moved and the Chiefs rely on you know what they've done well over these past years. And I don't know about Chris Jones. I think I think a lot of it with the Jones situation is out of the Chiefs' control. Like, is the Jones representation you know that we have faces to? Um, <laughs> Are they going to play ball with Kansas City? I like, and history has told me that they're not. And yeah. so, I, you know, I I hate to say it, you know, and, and the reason why I'm thinking out loud here is so you can see my figuring without tweeting or xing at PG Sween and getting mad at me. I like, I don't, I don't know about the Chiefs <laughs> keeping either of these guys, you know, at this stage. Yeah. And that that's the unfortunate reality, and that is one of the penalties of having success in the NFL. It's designed so that the same teams can't repeat. Meaning. Now, as they do well, it's harder to keep the players and it's harder to replace them because you're drafting last and there's a cap to how much money you can spend. So it ain't like MLB where you could just back up the truck and say, we're keeping Snead and Jones forever. These are friends. It's, it, you can't win that way. So we will see how it goes. Uh, and as major news happens, uh, I know Steve is ready behind the, the digital glass here to drop some emergency podcasts as we need them. And even though I'm, I'm off next week, if there's a big enough story, 
I'm going to have John and Steve drop out the back signal and I'll hop on here to talk about it. But uh, I'm hoping that's a relatively quiet week, uh, just considering I haven't really taken a blow since like mid-July uh, at this stage. But anyway, here we the go. The Sween uh, signal. I like that. Yeah, the Sween yeah. signal. <laughs> I, I'm, I was trying to think of a witty thing to say what that symbol would look like, but I'll get back. Maybe maybe like a version of the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center with the glasses, but like long hair and, and Instead of his bald head, maybe that would be the symbol. All right. Uh, need to get into our next topic, which is uh, there could be new contracts on the way for Andy Reid and Brett Veach. Uh, Mike Mike Florio is is, is shocked uh, about this. He can't believe it. He's got his uh, O face on. Uh, but it, it does seem like these two guys who are under contract until 2025, you never want to get into the last year of the contract. Uh, if I'm Clark Hunt and I'm trying to save money, why would you want to try to sign two guys after a potential three-peat that's never been done? You know, now you're probably paying even more than you would now. Uh, and this is usually done quietly. This is very different than player contracts and that you really rarely hear about the talks that are ongoing and you find out after the fact that it usually comes from the organization that they reveal, okay, these guys are, are signed. But uh, again, hate to be that guy, but another, I told you so moment more so for Florio than any of you guys who, who listen to us, just like, Andy Reid has Mahomes. He's been waiting for him this whole his whole career. So should his health be fine? I think you know you're going to see him want to continue coaching and want to chase uh, Belichick in a way. And uh, before I let you talk, John, it, it was listed that Andy Reid was is, is eighth, they believe, in head coach salaries. That'll be closer to one. And as it had turned out, uh, Brett Veach, who relatively unproven at the time of, of signing, I know they just won the Super Bowl, but a lot of that was John Dorsey's work, but he was one of the lower paid GMs and now will be up to be one of the, I'd imagine, top five, if not top one, top two, top three uh, highest paid GMs whenever this comes down. Yeah, uh, it's kind of unfortunate. We get so accustomed to knowing how much players make or believe we know how much players like it. It's always kind of shrouded in some secrecy, but we have some kind of an idea, but we know nothing about how much coaches make. There's no salary cap. There's no um, there's no reason for teams to uh, give out what they pay coaches. And it'd be an interesting thing to talk about, just yeah. as it is to talk about how much players make and what teams have to do to get under the cap. But this is a place where teams can do just like Major League Baseball, anything they want <laughs> with regard to team with regard to their coaches. And um, uh, I think this is a place where the Chiefs are going to spend some real money to keep these guys together, keep the team going. Uh, they just re-signed Spagnolo to a new deal. Uh, I think uh, Reed and Veach are both going to get uh, deals that last three years, just like Spagnolo did. And we'll be talking about this again in three years from now. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know how Clark doesn't make them the highest head coach in GM. I just... Uh... It's been so, you know, it's been long enough now for five years, three titles, first back to back in 20 years. Uh, I don't know. The you know, negotiations are hard because you have to be brutally honest sometimes about like what they're bringing to the table. And I, it's hard to wrap your head around the argument against them being that. And I, I think more so even than the titles. And you know, I say it all the time. Once you get to the final four in the NFL, I really, truly believe anything can happen. And sure, uh, yeah. just being able to reach that point. Now six years in a row, it, it it's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible. I, uh, there's no uh, talking about it that would would be able to oversell it. I, you know, that's that's kind of how I feel about the job they've done. So, um, 
it'll be interesting to see how long the years are. That's what we will know. I don't think we will know the exact figures, but uh, maybe there's a, a way we will if if they are the highest paid. Uh, but um, fear not. I don't think, uh, despite the pro football talk rumors, that Andy Reid is going anywhere, and it seems like Brett Beach <laughs> is going to be much more satisfied with his salary in uh, a couple weeks to come. John, a, a quick one before you, before we get into something more serious. Uh, Taylor Swift <laughs> made Pop-Tarts for the offensive line during the year. Oh, you know, man. What a story. As it turns out, this came from Pro Football Talk as well. And believe it or not, <laughs> this story has more truth to it than the Andy Reid retirement story. <laughs> it seems very clear uh, that, uh, that the biggest pop star in the world made Pop-Tarts for uh, the O-line. What did, what did you make of this? Well, I, I love this story. I know a lot of people are are put off by Taylor Swift, but I'm not. I, yeah. I love the attention that she's bringing to the team. Um, I think it's it's disingenuous to complain that uh, the coasts don't play pay attention to flyover country. Sure, and then get mad when suddenly people are paying attention to us because Taylor Swift is is in the the box at the stadium. I mean, this is what we have been saying for years that we want is for people to take the Chiefs seriously. And all this is doing is making it more possible for people to do that. And, you know, if it's fun for the team, I think that adds to the team's ability to win. So um, I think this is this is great. I'm not a fan of Taylor Swift's music. That's not part of the equation for me. Yeah, I'm too old to be a fan of modern popular <laughs> music. So, you know, just give I me... Just give me my Billy Joel and I'll be happy, you know, but but uh, but I love that she's bringing attention onto the team. I just love that. First of all, love that you said Billy Joel as <laughs> I don't know if you knew this or not, but I love Billy Joel. Oh, second really? of all. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm from Long Island, of course. Right. We're, oh, well, you know, we're next duh. door neighbors. Yeah. Miami uh, and 2017. Then, yeah. Second yeah. of all, I like that despite being what, like a virtual billionaire. Taylor Swift is still baking. This isn't the first baking story. So she's baking, baked the <laughs> offensive line pop tarts, and uh, apparently she made cinnamon buns or rolls. One of the first Travis Kelsey. It just goes to show, like people still like what they like, no matter how much success that they have. I, I'll tell you, yeah. John. Like I enjoy. This is a weird thing, but like I enjoy a Yingling. I don't care if I'm the most popular NFL reporter on the planet. I'm on ESPN or NFL Network one day. Like I'm still gonna like a shitty old yingling once in a while. And I, I imagine <laughs> making sure that you stay with your, your roots is a, is a, is an important thing and good for her for continuing to bake. And it seems like everything is going well, you know, it, as, as much as people thought it might be a distraction, you'll never be able to claim that because they, they went and won the damn Super Bowl, And I, I'd, I'd contest that Travis Kelsey paid his, played his best ball in the postseason. So uh, and apparently gave an amazing speech at halftime of the game. Yeah, he knocked uh, from, over the the yeah. bike or something in the locker and room before the game and at halftime. Yeah, I, and so you got to think that Travis that uh, Taylor has a has a role in that as well. I have to ask you now, what's your what what are your top Billy Joel songs? So I'd I'd love to know uh, what you think are his best songs. Well, so as it as it turned out this was a, a tough situation, but I mean, it was a necessary one. I had to give up. I had to give up remix to ignition in my, uh, from by R Kelly in as my karaoke song. So I, I had to find a, <laughs> a replacement for it. And so it's been piano, man. I, I love piano, uh -huh. man. Yeah. Um, of course, 
uh, New York State of Mind. Yeah, I like great Uptown one. Girl. Uh, we didn't start the fire. I mean, I, I'm naming the hits, but y- yeah, Piano Man uh, tends to be my karaoke song. So if we were to go and do Arrowhead Pride staff karaoke, which we have not tackled yet, we've done a few get-togethers <laughs> and happy hours, but uh, that would be the the first song up that I would go with. Well, right. I love I love Angry Young Man. And oh, okay, uh, that's one of my favorites. I love the ballad ability kid. I think that's yeah. an amazing piece of music. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of, uh, well, about a dozen Billy Joel songs, but those are the two that come to mind right off the top of my top of my head here. Yeah, this is cool. Well, this will be something we'll have to talk about. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll maybe in podcast maybe content f- on this. Yeah, the second week to June to like mid mid of July, we have nothing to talk about. So maybe we can have a Billy Joel off or something. All right, uh, final two news stories, and these kind of oddly enough fit together. Not as fun as Taylor Swift and Pop Tarts, but the NFL PA report cards came out today, and once again, just not good notes on Kansas City. You know, another another way to say it, we thought they were bad last year. This was the complaints about uh, head trainer Rick Burkholder and the locker room and the facilities and and so on and so forth. The Chiefs were 29th last year. They actually managed to be worse. Somehow this year uh, came in at 31st. Doesn't seem like a, a ton of improvements were made, John. And these NFLPA report cards, they drop during the combine week so they can have this press conference uh, at the scouting combine. These came out as the Chiefs were announcing an $800 renovation to Arrowhead that fans and taxpayers will be responsible, it sounds like, for paying somewhere in the ballpark of $500 million for. And so this all kind of. Uh, uh, broke uh, at the same time. The timing of it was tough, I think, for uh, you know the Chiefs and and what they wanted. But here's the general gist of the NFLPA report cards: bad marks in uh, seemingly everything except for the head coach, which was uh, an A plus. So they're doing right by the head coach. But if you look at all the other categories. Family treatment, D+, food service, C-, nutritionist, F, locker room, F, training room, D, training staff, F, weight room, C+, strength coach, C+, team travel, D. I mentioned the A+, and the head coach. And uh, the owner category got the worst grade, and that was, it seemed, again, we're just taking the report for what it was saying, but it seemed like uh, Clark might have promised a renovation to, and to be very clear here, the training facility locker right. room mm-hmm. uh, where, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, you go in there and, it, and for what it's worth, we interview players in there all the time. And it, I'll be honest. It's not, it's, it's, it's not so much better than a college. And I bet you there are some D one programs that actually have like nicer day-to-day facilities. Uh, and it seems like there might've been a promise from 22 to 23 in the off season to get this redone. And the only noticeable change that that even we as reporters mentioned to each other when we were first walking in there was they finally put in seats with backs on them as opposed to stools, which actually had been in last year's report. And I think in a way that makes this one a little bit uncomfortable because you, they read enough to realize, oh, the players were upset about this uh, stool chair thing. They addressed that because it was specifically mentioned, but it doesn't seem like any other aspect from the report cards um were improved upon now i think to be fair the chief's performance on the field was just as good as last year and number two you know we don't really know the nuances of how this thing is mm-hmm. made I mean, right. how many chiefs were interviewed it's a little bit um you know i i think 
hidden in in the words of the NFLPA. They kind of just put this thing out and say, accept this. And they mentioned they they interviewed more than seventeen hundred players, but you know we don't know how many. Still, I think regardless of all that, you would have liked to have seen more improvements uh, on the report card, especially as the Chiefs are saying all these things about the new stadium and the the vote that's hap- happening uh, this April and you know wanting uh, to be able to use some of the taxpayers' money to make the experience of Arrowhead better. seems like a lot of the renovations, John, are for higher-paying fans. I don't think that's like too crazy of a take to make. And so I just think all of it married together made for an, an interesting hour or two on, on Wednesday. Well, you can you can make the argument that the timing was terrible for the Chiefs, yeah, that it, it uh, <laughs> that it uh, made them look bad at a moment they're trying to to drum up this renovation thing, but it's also possible that the Chiefs chose this moment to release that information to counteract the bad PR of uh, of what they. I'm, I mean, I'm going to assume they knew. Yeah. Uh, ahead of time before we did anyway that they were going to get this bad report from the nflpa and maybe the whole point of putting this thing out there was to help mask that that's entirely speculation on my part i feel right. it's important <laughs> to, 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 yeah. to note that that i'm just i'm just jamming here um but you know that's always a possibility that uh that they look at it that way that well this is the time to put that out there or maybe it was just a coincidence you know, it's just that coincidences do happen occasionally, and this could be one of those. Um, it's kind of unfortunate, but I, I felt I definitely felt last year that the NFL PA hadn't been once we knew a little bit more about the process that they mm-hmm. used to get the information. I felt like the NFL PA hadn't been very scientific about it. Right. And, um, you know, I still kind of get that vibe from the deal which might be unfair, but, you know, we still really don't know that much about how it all fits together. I remember Andy Reid was pretty clear about, well, you know, they don't really necessarily know what they're talking about when he was asked about it uh, after those grades came out last year. And I, I, I myself felt a little more comfortable about what the Chiefs are doing after Reid spoke. But, you know, if something like this is out there and people are talking about it, and there doesn't seem to be much change about it a year later, that's not a good look at all at all. Yeah. I, and like, I don't want to, this is a very interesting report and, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics and weeds and I don't, I don't want to be like reported, but I think it is something that I'll share. Like some of these things that are in here and I'm not going to name specifics or whatever are things that I've kind of heard in passing. There are certain things with like reports where, you know, you're on the record, off the record, and other times you're just kind of like chatting with people. And you you know this, and whatever job that you right. do, you go out, your buddies, you talk shop, and and some of the things that you know I I've seen now on paper have kind of matched some like rumblings I've heard before. And so sure. I hope there are aspects of this that the Chiefs take seriously. Uh, I, I know that the chairs were very clearly um, to me a reflection of last year's report. So we'll see what changes are made from, you know, what would be the 2023 season to the 2024 season. All right. We are back on the AP draft room podcast, talking prospects, talking receivers specifically. And we're talking about the sleepers in this class that we like, um, that we're thinking about guys that, 
you know, are just kind of not thought of, uh, you know, as highly in the draft world as, as we think maybe this should be. So Nate, who is that guy that fits that category for you? Another Washington wide receiver, uh, not surprisingly, Jalen McMillan. Um, Jalen McMillan kind of had an injury riddled year last year. Um, I don't know exactly how many games he missed. He just kind of had trouble staying on uh, the field consistently. But I think there's a little bit of upside to him, but I even like his floor now. So he's like kind of a long, lanky kind of vertical runner for them. Um, he kind of ran like if Polk ran like the middle of the field underneath stuff, like McMullen kind of stretched the seams and stuff like that. Um, and he was very good at running vertical routes. He's a very good vertical route runner, and that had good chemistry with Penix. But I think there's even more to him. They would sometimes put him in the backfield and let him run routes. Um, when they actually let him run underneath routes, he looked pretty good. For a guy who has long legs, he actually has some pretty decent like fluidity. Um, definitely not great at physicality now, but if you're looking for like a slot option who can stretch the seams but also do other things, I think McMillan would make sense. I think he'd be a great fit in Andy's offense. Um, Andy would find different ways to use him. Like I mentioned, you could put him at the backfield. You can isolate him on certain players. And he gives the Chiefs that like downfield uh, slot threat that they have not had since Tyreek Hill left. They've, that's been basically uh, absent from the roster. I think that was missing last year. McMillan would come in and open things up. Like I mentioned, I think he'd be a great fit with Rice. Uh, you have McMillan running vertically, Rice running underneath, uh, Kelsey obviously over the middle. I think that would be a great like three-man pair. 100%. No, he was definitely someone I thought of too. I can't, it, it, it is funny. It's just, I think it's just the injury, right? That just people kind of, you almost just kind of forget about guys the like, guys hey, ahead of not, him. you know. Yeah, yeah, right too. It's just like, hey, you know, just because he didn't have a good year in 2023 necessarily because of the injury. And again, he did finish strong. He had a, he had a good finish to the season. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of him too. He did sprint track in high school. Um, you can kind of see it in his, in his running ability. Um, but you're right. No, I think the, the cool thing about him is he was, he was a slot dominant player in college or, you know, at Washington specifically, um, in that last year, but he was also that vertical, uh, you know, uh, explosive player. So he's got a lot to him. Definitely, uh, would be someone the chiefs are probably targeting, um, but could move up boards after this combine. Cause I could see him being someone that, that, you know, tests well in all aspects and maybe, makes people understand um, he should be more thought of in that Jalen Polk category. They, those, all of those Washington receivers are going to be drafted and, and, and feel like they're going to be contributors. Caleb, who is your sleeper player? I'm going to go with uh, Josh Cephas from uh, UTSA. I know there's a lot of Chiefs fans that may feel burned by uh, small, small conference wide receivers, but I have, I, I feel like Cephas is going to test pretty well this weekend. He's about like six foot three, probably just a little under 200 pounds. He's a field stretcher, but he was really their go-to guy. And I mean, he's not going against the greatest competition in the world down there, but he, what he put on tape, you know, he's not really playing with the best quarterback either. There's times he's burning his guy off the line. Then he's having to wait for a few seconds or come back to the ball rather frequently. So he's got that ability to kind of stretch the field if you get him in the right setting. But also what I found interesting is they kind of ran him around. You know, he's also, I think, a guy he's kind of got like that gadget player type potential. Maybe a team like the Chiefs could be looking for because I do think once he does get to his long speed, he's going to be pretty hard to stop. You know, they also ran him on like drag routes and stuff. You know, they got him in space to where he could get open and kind of continue to build up that speed. So if they are looking for like another field stretcher type and maybe a little more like maybe a little taller frame than what they've had in the past with like McCole and Richie James, stuff like that. You know, I, I think he could be a guy like you pick up in the fifth round or something like that to where it's not going to cost you much to go get a guy like him. And if it, you know, if he turns out to, you know, be able to make a little bit of an impact, it would be something uh, 
you know, it'd be positive. Yeah, and, and he's the guy the Chiefs met with, right, already? Or is that was that someone else? Uh, I, I don't know if they know. met with him or not. Maybe there's another guy with the last name Cephas, but I thought there was a receiver they already met with. Probably could have had that pulled up already. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's there we go. We got sleepers for you. And so the last category in the receivers, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to be a little negative here. And, you know, I, I again, I it's kind of like the defensive line class where I did have to stretch a little bit for a negative. But th- the reason I will say Troy Franklin from Oregon as my slacker, guys, is because I just don't like how high he's going. I, I feel like he's just not maybe, you know, a guy that I would maybe take as high as he's, re- he's projected to go. It's like a guy that maybe some people think you'd have to maybe move up to even get. Um, he may not even last all the way to yeah. 32. Um, and to me, he just seems like kind of a one-dimensional player. And and maybe I should give him a little more credit because I don't want to say he's he's just a, you know a guy that's going to give you a, a deep threat ability you know win downfield you know um, and and he definitely does have some speed you know some some track speed to him because he does have you know some some yak ability you know he can he's definitely a r- good route runner overall right underneath too I would give him credit for um, but man I just was not really impressed with the play strength impressed you know with the the catch strength the the just the the overall, you know, the ability to to make plays on the ball, um, you know, to he he got there right, I, and I think that's that's half the battle, you know. I, I will I will give him credit for, but I just think at some point, you know, and you know, I I think his build to me kind of just turns me off too, um, because I do think it just kind of reminds me maybe of 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 MBS a little too much, where you know, it's someone that hey, you're gonna get to the to the route, or you're gonna get to the catch point, you're gonna look like you know, you're gonna look great up until that point. There's just some – I just saw a few things to me that just kind of did remind me of, of maybe just not having the instinctual ability to, uh, you know, make plays on the ball um, in traffic or down the field. And that's just going to turn me off uh, for him as a player. But, again, I do think he's going to be someone that that gives, you know, offenses like MVS has, right? I mean, you know, uh, before this year where he really just di- was disastrous. I think Troy Franklin's a bet – you know, he'll be – he's like M- what MVS is now. Like, I think he has a chance to progress um and, and become uh something better um but i guess i don't know maybe mbs is just too stuck in my head but there's just something about troy franklin that um i'm not a big fan of him going in the first round um and i i did say tez walker too but i think that's just too easy of a pick everyone's kind of saying he had a bad senior bowl i wasn't there i don't freaking know but he just he definitely seems one-dimensional he definitely i comped him to nelson Aguilar, and that's not necessarily a great thing um he just reminds me of just kind of a you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, run routes. You know, I, I can definitely, you know, make a play on the ball at some points, but, you know, I'm never going to, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll just be a kind of that third guy for you. So, Tez Walker takes. Caleb, you have any reaction to, to anything I said? Am I being hard on Troy Franklin, guys? Because he is a popular Chiefs pick, I will say. Just, just either y'all, y'all can answer that. I, I, you know, I've seen him go a lot of different places. I think the thing that you mentioned that's important with him, though, is – if he comes into the NFL and he's the equivalent of MVS now, that's fine because he's still a rookie and he's going to have a chance to kind of continue to build himself up, build that, you know, strength up and learn how to track the ball. MVS's biggest problem with the Chiefs, and they did release him today, the day we're recording this, his biggest problem is he can't catch the ball in stride. And that's an incredibly important thing to be able to do in the NFL, especially in the Chiefs offense. He can catch it falling down on his back fine. But I just I, – I don't know. I, I agree with some of the stuff about Franklin. I think he'll probably end up being, you know, just a quality receiver, nothing special, though. Yeah, no, I, I, ever. yeah that, that's that's it, right? I mean, I, I want someone who, who who's going to be reliable catching. So, yeah, any you got strong takes on him, Nate? 
Yeah, honestly, it's funny you said that because I agree because I have like a second round grade on Franklin and every time I see like somebody else talk about them, they're like going on and on about how they like love them. Like, am I like out of touch or something? But like every time I like I go back, I've watched him, rewatched him twice because like I go back and every time I'm left with the same thought, I'm like, he's good, but he's not like no one drafted yeah. him in the first round. I don't know. Okay, good. Well, you know, I, I, I we don't want to do group think here. We're I think we're good at that. Um, but I think it's it's I think there is something too. You know, sometimes you look at the stats too hard with some of these guys. He did. He was a very productive guy, and so you know, some of that kind of plays into um, some of the evaluation with some of these guys. Um, but all right, Caleb, is there someone that you have that is just a little bit of a slacker in this class? You're not a big fan of. I do. I'll go with uh, Johnny Wilson from Florida State. And one of the reasons I'm saying this is he was, you know, catching passes with Keon Coleman this year, and he's like six foot seven, and he only ended up with two touchdowns. To me, there's just something a little bit fishy with that. But also, if you just like historically look at his body type and frame, those like six foot seven receivers that can't block, you know, a lot of them try to get converted into tight end, but I don't really see him being like a great blocker at the point of attack or anything like that. So it's like going to be hard, you know, he's probably going to struggle to create separation, you know, because he's like 245 also. He's not like a small guy, but I just think he'll be one of those guys that he gets relegated to being just kind of like a red zone threat. And he's a little bit mediocre at doing that, to be honest. So I don't have like the highest outlook for him. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely, you know, his body type, it's just like, you know, you just don't see that anymore in the NFL making it work. You know, if he would have been here, you know, five, 10 or you no, know, not five years ago, 10, 15 years ago, you know, even longer than that. But I will say, you know, I, I, I do think he has a little more route running ability than I, than I thought he would watching him. Um, but I agree with you overall, like, you know, it, it, it's not, it's going to be even harder at his size to work at the NFL. Nate, uh, did you see Johnny Wilson at all? And do you have any slackers on your radar? I got. I have not, not had slackers yet, and I have not watched Johnny Wilson. I haven't gotten super deep into day two yet. That's generally where I'll find like somebody like that where I get people get overzealous. But I agree with your guys' picks. So, well, hey, that's that's good because we talked a lot a long time about the receivers, and we should start. We should start to give the defensive linemen some love um, before we get before we get out of here. Um, because, like we talked about, the strong class, a big class, and again, if something happens with this Chris Jones situation. It becomes even more important. But either way, even if they do retain Jones, yeah. even these star categories, even these solid categories are on the table. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. Caleb, you know, kind of like how I did with Brian Thomas Jr., you are uh, starting off with someone that you've already kind of previewed for the people. Yeah, and I talked about him last week, but uh, star in this class, I still think he's DT1 for this class, is Johnny Newton from Illinois. He has rare burst off the ball, rare strength, rare explosion. You combine all the physical attributes, you're like, okay, fine, that's a first-round pick. But then you actually see his pass rush arsenal, the way he works hand fights, the way he can bend for being you know, 6'3", 300 pounds, the way he can actually bend around guys and do things. That's not something you see every day, man. I think that he has a chance to be a special player. I'm disappointed we don't get to see him run this week because he's got that little cleanup procedure with his foot or workout really. But also at the same time, it's like, I feel like people are going to really overthink him as a prospect and there shouldn't really be a whole lot of overthinking going on with him. He's going to be a stud. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely a fan of how he, he definitely seems. I know I think I said this last week, but he definitely just seems like a guy that was was kind of touted to be a high pick early in his career. So by the time he gets drafted, he kind of just gets maybe overthought because people are excited about the newer names that come out. Um, but but Nate, who is your star of this class that you have looked at so far? Yeah, candidly, I think there's really only two stars in this class, and I'm just going to take the other one. It's Byron Murphy. Uh, you wrote yeah. about him, so we can be quick on this. Just so explosive, so twitched up. Uh, he reminds me so much of uh, Justin Matabike on the uh, yeah. Ravens, but I even think he's better as a prospect than Matabike was. He's just like he he can do it all. He's just his pass rush arsenal is so good. I he's he's insane. Like it, he should probably go in the top fifteen of this class. But I mean, just one of like the rarest athletic profiles I've ever seen from a defensive tackle. He's just insane. Yeah, no, Byron Murphy was was the the fun the the fun watch, and and you know I read that he you know, it was kind of a convert from, you know, kind of being a ball carrier slash like linebacker hybrid kind of, you know, player at some point. Um, you can kind of tell like this dude is it just kind of looks like just a, an athletic freak that just kind of put on muscle could put and, and became just a because golly, you know, the way he can kind of explode out of weird stances and, uh, you know, recover um, quickly. He is definitely someone that the Chiefs any team should, should should be after in this kind of in, in today's NFL. Both those guys, I just feel like you know you want guys on the interior that are going to be able to do both. Because Newton is definitely you know uh, you know takes up a lot of space and can can be a, a strong uh, run defender as well. My guy, I think you're right though. You did mention that there are only two stars in this class. Um, I totally agree. And so who I went with is definitely someone that I think could be a guy that comes in and has uh, you know star capabilities in terms of the one aspect of his game. That's Michael Hall Jr. from Ohio State. Dude is absolutely electric, um, flying off the ball. He is he is the definition of a, a four three B gap penetrator. You know, someone that's just going to, you know, beat a guard to his to his outside inside shoulder. You know, is gonna you know uh, like Chris Jones loves to do. Obviously, not in the Chris Jones mold because this guy is a, a smaller compact player. Um, you know, he's gonna be more. You know, he he's listed six two two eighty five. We're gonna see how he measures in at the combine. But it seems like he has very long arms that allow him to knife through, you know, rip through cleaner. Um, and he just has the bend, the flexibility that kind of reminds you of like a Kalijah Cansey last year. I think Cansey was a little more explosive. Um, and so I will give him that. I think Cansey deserve deserved the the kind of that special trait kind of indicator. I don't think Michael Hall's exactly gotten that love so far. Um, I think maybe at some point you'll see him kind of gain some steam just because, again, he flies off the ball. Has great pass rush moves. He's someone that if you put one on one for in the interior against a guard or a center, you know he's gonna beat him up. He's gonna you know get pressure. Um, but you know he is kind of a lighter player. You know he he definitely uh, is not someone that should be necessarily two gapping. Necessarily shouldn't uh, be someone that you know is is taking on double teams. You know he's definitely a, a B gap kind of player. Someone that should be shooting through a lot of the time. So that's where he, he is kind of a limited player. Um, but again, you know there if if you're that good at getting penetration at getting after the quarterback, which I do think he has a special trait in that aspect. Um, and he's a young player, right? This is a guy that has not reached his potential. He's uh, just three years coming out. So um, yeah, Michael Hall Jr. is someone that I'm in- interested to see where he ends up in the draft and just in, uh, in the NFL. Nate, you are next up with a solid prospect on the interior defensive line. Yeah, uh, this guy actually has some upside too, but just if we're talking just like a guy who I know is going to be a good NFL starter, it's Chris Jenkins, the defense tackle out of Michigan. Um, yep. He just checks all the boxes. He comes from an NFL scheme. Um, we've seen that scheme kind of run through the NFL right now. It's actually that scheme the Chiefs run. Long, super athletic. He's going to test great at the combine based off what everyone has said. 
Um, he's a very good run defender. There's pass rush upside there. Uh, I think this is actually like probably if you made like uh, maybe pick right now, the Chiefs are going to pick it actually probably be Chris Jenkins in the first round. But if you're just looking for a guy who's just going to be a very like B plus NFL player, I think Chris Jenkins will be that. I think he'll be able to contribute instantly. Um, can play one tech, can play three technique. I just, I really, I mean, you can't not like his film when you watch him. He's just a very, just solid, good player who's good at everything. Yeah, Caleb, I know you had uh, took quite a look at him. So do you have any thoughts, want to follow up there with, with Chris Jenkins? Uh, you know, again, his dad was an NFL player. He's got some, uh, you know, some NFL pedigree. Yeah, he, he's a really violent run defender. And I think that'd be really attractive to Spags and Joe Cullen. But like you mentioned, high athletic upside. He's got a couple of nice little power rushes. And then towards the end of the season, he worked like a little spin in the national title game a little bit on Washington there. That's the spark you see that can be like, okay, we got a really solid guy who we think is going to defend the run well. But, you know, he's, you know, he can probably develop a couple of pass rush moves as time goes on just because of the athleticism. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think he's, he's definitely someone that just feels like, you know, you, you feel good if they pick him, uh, you know, no matter what, he's, he's definitely going to be a contributor. Um, and, and more than that, I would imagine at some point, especially, Hey, if Chris Jones isn't here, I think he's the perfect kind of, you know, where there's just that long, big body, you know, in that B gap, um, you know, that's, that's really, he can play both, right. He can, he can, uh, you know, be versatile along the line, but a guy that won't be as versatile, um, but, but, you know, give him a little credit as, at least as a run defender, um, that'd be Tavondre Sweat, um, who was my solid prospect. You know, this is not a Jordan Davis. You know, I think that's that's clear uh, and, and important to, to note that, you know, this isn't someone that's going to necessarily be like a freak in terms of getting after uh, the quarterback, you know, chasing down, you know, quarterbacks or anything. You know, this is just your he's going to be, a, you know, trust me, he's going to show out at the combine. That's one thing I will say. <laughs> this is coming out after they work out Thursday night. I bet Tavondre Sweat is a is a topic of conversation. But I do think just as a football player, you know, I do think Tavondre Sweat just is, is going to be a very solid, you know, nose tackle. Going to be very rundown dominant. Going to be a Limbaugh Joseph type where, you know, he's just going to, you know, be in the league forever, just terrorizing centers and guards, you know, on early downs. You know, get him as either that two-gapping, uh, you know, in the 3-4 or, you know, just just plug in that that A-gap in the in the in the 4-3. Either way, he's absolutely going to be, you know, and he's going to create penetration. You know, he absolutely can. You know, he can shoot off the ball for his size. But I do just think he has limitations as a, you know, as a true, you know, three down player. Um, and so I do think a day two, he's definitely worth it because he's going to, you know, especially if the Chiefs wanted to go that route, you know, I, I'd say, hey, you know, shoot. Yeah, I'd sign me up. I think in day two, depending on how else they attack the draft. I don't know how far he'll go up the boards. But uh, but again, I don't think this is a Jordan Davis type. So I don't think he's a star in the star category. What do you all think? Well, I will say this: Tavondre changed the fronts Texas played because when they were when he was in the game, they would play a lot more just like even fronts because they had like just him take up all the space. And when he's right. off the field, they would go into more like bare odd fronts uh, because their defensive tackles weren't quite as good then. So he's a game changer, and for a team that you know the Chiefs do dabble in odd fronts too, but they're still predominantly an even yeah. front team. He would change the math in a way they just have not had a nose tackle in, since Don Terry Poe. Um, as good as or as valuable as Derek Nani has been for the Chiefs as like a role player, this is just different. 